Hello, friends. Happy last day of May, and welcome to Episode 7 of The Loose Gardener. I'm your host, Amanda J. Schultz. I hope all of you had a fabulous Memorial Day weekend here in the United States anyway. When we last left off, I came to you due to extenuating circumstances with a short instead of a full episode. In that short, I thought I would be back by the end of the week, but as life would have it, John and I happened to be called to do a bee removal on Friday, May 20th, which also happened to coincidentally be World Bee Day. Quite fortuitous. You might remember the phrase I used last time, done is better than perfect. Well, here lately, I think I need to add on to that phrase with, and sometimes done never happens, and that's okay too. Really, if you think about it, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves for completion in all things. The older I get, the more I feel like most things, except for maybe surgery and a baked cake, can be left undone and life still continues on pretty decently. Last time I checked, no one dies if the laundry doesn't get hung up or the dishes stay in the sink over the weekend. So catching up with that episode on May 20th, well, that was just meant to be left undone. But now we're back on the first true day of summer in my household where my kids got up and were asking right away, what are we doing today? That question lands at a close second to, when are we going to get there, on my list of favorite kid questions. Also, right about this time in my house, the little one generally starts asking, how long until Christmas? Sheesh. Summer, it's a love-hate relationship. But one of the things that I do love about the start of summer is some of the wildflowers that begin blooming in our pollinator garden the ones that wait for the heat and thrive in it. I appreciate those flowers because I can relate to them. You see, I'm one of those weird people that loves working outside in the heat of the summer. I'm sure I'll eventually get too old for all of that nonsense, but I've always preferred working in 100 degree heat to 45 degree cold. And somehow I feel like if I'm really hot and sweaty, I'm also really doing something worthwhile. As I mentioned on the last short, John and I recently started a business called Blackland Bees. With so much happening in our lives revolving around bees lately, I really love to see the first bloom open on one of my favorites just before the weekend, Lemon Bee Balm. So, as the weather has now turned balmy, we're going to talk about a couple of balms today and how they sound similar but are actually very different, one being American and the other being of Mediterranean origin. Both, though, pay homage to the bees, and, well, we like that. Let's kick it off today first with the flower in my garden, Lemon Bee Balm. Now you might have heard this called purple horse mint or lemon mint or plains horse mint or lemon horse mint or purple lemon mint. Yeah, those are all the same plant. Monarda citriodora. Lemon bee balm is a lovely stacked flower with tuft-like layers of whorled blossoms that come in lavender to pinkish white shades. 
It's a tower of color, unmistakably unique in its floral design. The entire plant only gets about one to two feet tall, but a single plant will provide several stalks of flowers. Again, this is a wildflower largely found in the Midwest and the South on prairies, meadows, and hillsides, so it isn't terribly particular about the soil. But the bloom span will largely depend on the amount of water the plant gets. If relatively consistently watered, this plant will bloom throughout the entire summer and into mid-fall. If you don't do much personal watering during the summer and rainfall is low, then your lemon bee balm might have an initial good output of blooms and then go ahead and go to seed. Either way though, whether you have a one-shot bloom or consistent flowering, this is a really fun addition to any garden. Now, if you've stuck with me through the first six episodes of this podcast, you know that we often talk about what's in a name. And Monarda citriodora is no exception. So lemon bee balm is in the mint family. That family is Lemiaceae. You might remember some episodes back when I introduced you to the father of taxonomy, Carl Linnaeus. So in deciding on the genus that covers lemon bee balm, Linnaeus chose Monarda in honor of 16th century physician and botanist Nicolas Bautista Monards. You might say that Monards was meant for medicine, being born into a family where his maternal grandfather was a physician and his wife's father was a renowned professor of medicine in Seville. It was this medicinal lineage, as well as his own studies and advancement in medicine and botany, that granted Menards a very comfortable position in medicine for some 50 years in Seville. Menards became especially interested in the medicinal uses of plants being brought back to Spain from the New World. His work was so influential that some scholars believe that it was his research into plants that sparked King Philip II of Spain to send Francisco Hernandez on his expedition to the New World. His research was so extensive that it eventually led to a three-part publication series entitled, wait for it, Historia Medicinal de las cosas que se traen de nuestras Indias Occidentales que sirven al uso de la medicina. <laughs> That's a mouthful of a title. Funny enough, that work would later be translated into English by a fellow by the name of John Frampton in the late 1500s and given the new title of Joyful news out of the newfound world. Still doesn't really give you any clue about what you're about to read, but who am I to judge? Frampton had a colorful history. Frampton was interesting in that he was an English merchant living in Spain who got himself wrapped up in the Spanish Inquisition. Now, the Inquisition was a group of institutions focused on a movement within the Catholic Church to root out heretics and maintain a stronghold of Catholicism in various European countries. 
So Frampton found himself sought out by the Inquisition in what appeared to actually be trumped up charges, doled out along with the confiscation of all of his goods as an exchange for piracy that had been committed by the English on the high seas. So Frampton ended up being imprisoned, tortured, and on house arrest for a number of years before he finally escaped Cadiz in 1567. So having lived in Spain for so long, this gave him a full command of the Spanish language, and he thus found important work in his later years translating key works like this joyful news out of the newfound world, as well as the Spanish account of the travels of Marco Polo. So let's circle back around to where I started and Carl Linnaeus crafted the genus Monarda after Menards because these groupings of plants were some of the ones that made their way to Spain and were used for medicinal purposes. Monarda citriodora specifically has had a long use for respiratory illnesses involving a cough or the common cold. Now on the species name citriodora, that literally means citrus or lemon scented. But this isn't due to the fragrance of the flower. This lemon scent actually occurs when you crush the leaves of the plant. Now, if you decide to grow lemon bee balm, this is another easy plant to grow by seed. You can either sow seed in the fall or you can even sow it in the early spring. Simply scatter and rake seeds into the topsoil they really don't need much fuss. And as far as initial watering goes, supplemental watering is only really needed if spring rains are extremely poor. Otherwise, simply let nature take its course on this one and you should be fine. Because this is an annual, the existing plant will not come back. So either let those plants drop seed on their own or collect the seed and repeat the same planting process again. Now, one of the best things about this wildflower is the fact that butterflies and bees, especially bumblebees, love it. But it's also used as a quick reliever of bee stings, which is really why it gets the name bee balm. If you are stung by a bee or wasp, remove the stinger, if it's still present, and either chew up or firmly roll some of the leaves between your thumb and fingers, and then press the juice of the leaves against the sting. But all of this might lead you to ask, what about the common name horse mint? Do horses love it? And does it work if an ornery horse decides to bite you as well? No, I'm afraid not. That reference really has more to do with size. The Monarda genus in the mint family tends to include much larger plants than other mints. Mints that one might say are the size of a horse. If you want to see a fun photo of my lemon bee balm, I will post it after this podcast airs at The Loose Gardener on Instagram and Facebook. So that's lemon bee balm, a naturally growing wildflower from the new world that would eventually become America. But there's this other plant called lemon balm. What? Yes, that's right, lemon balm, 
also called balm mint and common balm. And it's not the same thing as lemon bee balm. But here's the kicker. Lemon balm was an herb used in the ancient Mediterranean civilizations, also of the mint family, Lamiaceae, and would eventually acquire the scientific name of Melissa officinalis. Know what the name Melissa means? Meli comes from the Greek word honey, and the Greek word melissa literally means honeybee. This name was given because the plant was an attractor of bees. In fact, this plant had a very significant place in Greek culture in that the ancient Greeks actually believed honeybees and lemon balm to be in relationship with one another. The Greeks believed that honeybees would never abandon a hive if lemon balm grew nearby. They believed that bees used the scented herb, which also gets the common name lemon balm from the citrusy fragrance when the leaves are crushed, as a marker to find their way back to a hive after traveling out to collect nectar and pollen. This was such a prevalent view that the Greeks would even rub down their beehives with lemon balm to make the bees feel welcomed. Now, there was much that was not fully understood about honeybees by the Greeks. Aristotle documented many observations and hypotheses about bees. For one, he believed that bees did not give birth, but fetched their young from the flowers, and then they developed within the cells of the comb. This thought might be because he incorrectly identified the largest bee as a king, not realizing she was actually a queen laying eggs in each cell. Because honestly, a woman in charge, probably not a thought process easily comprehended at the time. He also believed that honey originated from the atmosphere instead of making the connection from the nectar of flowers. So who knows if the bees actually feel welcomed by the scent of lemon balm or not. Maybe I'll ask our girls out back. So let's recap. With our American plant, we actually have the word bee in the common name bee balm. But in the Mediterranean mint of lemon balm, we don't have the word bee in the common name. But of course, it is present in the scientific name of the genus Melissa. And how about this? If you go to England, the English will call lemon balm bee balm, and then they will call our bee balm American bee balm. Thoroughly confused? It's easy to feel that way until you look at a picture of lemon balm. Lemon balm will absolutely resemble what you would think of as an herbaceous mint. The leaf structure is very similar to peppermint or spearmint, which many of us are familiar with. The flowers are small, generally in whites that might have a yellow or pink tinge to them. Where lemon bee balm was traditionally used for respiratory illness and to treat bee stings, lemon balm is used for longevity and to chill out. 
It is said to help improve mood, cognitive decline, and lower anxiety levels. This is why you will often see lemon balm used in tea as a relaxing agent. In fact, back to the Greeks again, they were the society that really promoted lemon balm as a key to longevity. Eventually, the Romans introduced lemon balm to Europe, where, for instance, Prince Llewellyn of Wales in the 13th and 14th centuries was said to have consumed Melissa tea every day of his life, leading him to reach the astounding age of 108. What's interesting about lemon balm is that it was finally becoming naturalized in Europe by the 1500s, which is the same time period that lemon bee balm was being carted across the ocean to our buddy Menards in Spain from the New World. So you can see that by the time William Shakespeare is writing his plays from about 1590 to 1613, lemon balm is in prevalent full force usage. In Antony and Cleopatra, as Cleopatra commits suicide, she speaks of the poison of the asp, as sweet as balm, as soft as air, as gentle. So let's say that in addition to planting lemon bee balm, you also want to plant lemon balm. Let's talk about that. Now, if you know anything about various mint species, you know that they have a tendency to take over, spreading very easily. Lemon balm is no exception. It is a quick spreader through both seeds and rhizomes. Remember that word from the last episode on potatoes? A rhizome is the underground stem that puts out lateral shoots. So this might be the first plant that I've suggested as a really great container plant or to be used in a contained herb garden with other herbs. There are really no other herbs that would not be suitable companion plants for lemon balm if you decide to do a mixed herb garden. Just choose herbs with the same soil requirements as lemon balm, which would be rich, moist, well-drained soil. Lemon balm also requires full sun to part shade. Remember, if you are planting in a pot, you'll need to water more frequently as pots will dry out faster than ground soil. Now you can plant lemon balm by seed in early spring, or this is honestly a great plant to just pick up one start at your local nursery. Because it spreads so easily, you really don't need to buy multiple plants. One or two will be plenty. Now lemon balm is different than lemon bee balm in that it is technically a perennial, but this is really only true in USDA zones three to seven. This is also a good reason to consider this plant in a pot in zones eight and above so that you can bring the pot in during winter months. Otherwise, this plant will likely freeze and it will be an annual for you. So that means that you'll have to replace it each year. On May 19th, I spoke to a cafeteria of about 160 elementary school kids in Waxahachie, Texas about honeybees. I love speaking to kids about bees. They love seeing someone in a full bee suit with all the gear, getting to see all the equipment, touch real comb built by bees, and play guessing games to win some honey. 
But as all kids do, every group that I speak to especially loves the opportunity for a question and answer session. And invariably, there are those that always love the danger-centric line of questioning. On this occasion, one child asked me if I had ever been stung. I said that occasionally I get stung, but not very often because I wear my bee suit that protects me. Then I launched into this one story about going to work at a garden to inspect some hives. We opened them up only to discover that these bees were pretty angry, angrier than any bees I had ever met. The problem was I was only wearing jeans with a bee jacket and veil on top. I said to the kids, and guess what happened? Half the cafeteria said, what? As they leaned forward on the edges of their seats, waiting in anticipation for the answer. That's when I said, I got stung on my legs 12 times. If you have never heard 160 elementary school kids gasp at one time, it's something. I told them that I had to run out of the bee yard and get away, but that I ended up being okay. Thinking on this story now, maybe I should elaborate next time and say something to the effect of, It's not a big deal, though, because I carry some lemon bee balm leaves with me, and I just crush those and rub them on my bee stings. Then when I get home, I make myself a nice cup of tea with just plain lemon balm in it, and I'm relaxed and right as rain. What do you think? On second thought... I'm thinking this little episode on lemon bee balm and lemon balm might have left some adults in a state of bewilderment. So perhaps the ending of I ran away and I was okay is good enough. That's how kids end all of their stories anyway. Simple. Kind of like done is better than perfect. Thank you for joining me on this beautiful and balmy episode of The Loose Gardener. If you enjoyed this podcast, save it to your library, write a review, and share it with a friend. Remember that you can now find this podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Stitcher. And also remember to now check me out on Instagram and Facebook under The Loose Gardener. And if you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and are in bee trouble have a question or concern about honeybees, or would like to schedule a speaking engagement at your school or club, contact Blackland Bees at 972-275-6320. Until next time, be happy, be joyful, be kind, let it be, and dig deep, and stay loose. Stay loose.